You're listening to the Tony Stewart Podcast, where Tony interviews financial literacy advocates who are changing the conversation on money, so you can catch up on the latest trends and ideas in the world of financial literacy and education. Welcome to the Tony Stewart Podcast. I'm pleased to be joined today by Saad Sarif. Saad is the head of growth at 401Go. In this episode, we'll be discussing making financial literacy more inclusive. Saad, welcome to the Tony Stewart Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to uh, have you on and to get started with our conversation. So, you know, I always like to get started by asking people, you know, what is your origin story? How did you get started in personal finance? Um, yeah, for me, honestly, it was just by chance. I was kind of destined to become an accountant. I'd studied accounting. That was what my undergrad was in and stuff. But it didn't really stick with me. And just on the off chance, I got an opportunity to kind of interview for um, a boutique private equity firm that kind of taught me a little bit about that investment about the investment space. And that's how I kind of started that journey by just working in sales. Uh, and then kind of pivoted that into working in New York on Wall Street between 2007 to 2009 during the, the, the crash that, you know, we had experienced and then moved into private wealth and then financial literacy and faith focused investing. So the last sort of decade and a half, like 15 to 16 years, was really a journey that kind of transitioned me into that space just by chance looking for it. It was never something I kind of went after because I come from like an environment like as a South Asian background. Um, at home, the conversations were normally around work hard, earn your degree, buy a home and live. That was it. There was no conversation about wealth accumulation or about how do you grow your wealth to live a happy present life and a financially successful retirement life as well. There was no conversation around that for me. So I quite honestly learned everything throughout my career. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting that you say that because I've, I've talked to people around the world on this podcast. and it's the same story around the world is people don't learn these things. You know, it's like earn money. Maybe they learn like, Hey, you need to save some money, but beyond that, it's pretty bare <laughs> what people learn. Uh, it's so true. And I, I think nowadays we have a lot more information available. Um, smartphones have changed our sort of way of searching for information. But I think a lot of people really don't know kind of how to access it, I feel like, but there's so much of it there to see what fits them because everyone has their own needs and wants when it comes to money. It's just about understanding that part, which I think is necessary. Yeah, well, I, I think you hit on a couple of really important things. One is people being able to really know what they're looking for. They, they don't even know the right questions to ask. So then they have a hard time finding the right information that's a fit for them. And there's a little too much information out there that so it's hard for people to wade through it and find the information that's going to be useful for them. So the great points uh, <laughs> with, with you on that hundred percent. Um, so, you know, one of the things you, you and I talked a little bit about this, you know, um, when we first talked on LinkedIn is you're involved with this halal investing. Can you share with us what is halal investing? Yeah, absolutely. I am. And again, that was something I just learned on the off chance. I didn't even know when I moved to America that halal investing even existed, which pretty much the word halal means permissible or think of it as ethical that's permissible. In a nutshell, you want to invest in line with your faith and religious values. Um, 
For Muslims, the word halal is very synonymous with being something that they can do, which is permissible, which is allowed. So when it comes to investing, again, in a nutshell, you're just trying to avoid things that are harmful to the earth, harmful to humans, um, to animals and our environment. And that's what it's all about. That Hey, invest in line with your values. So your money is growing in an ethical way, but then you're also making a difference and an impact through the, your investments as well. And that's what pretty much is what halal means for people of uh, the Muslim faith that, hey, I want to make sure that my money is not being tainted by investing in companies that are doing harmful things around us or by investing in products that are not beneficial to us. But it, it sounds like they were well ahead of the curve on ESG investing. Then, yeah, right? pretty much. And also including leverage. So the one thing that a lot of people sometimes forget is that leverage does matter for a company, how much debt they've borrowed. Uh, how much, you know, what's the uh, kind of like the bonds that they've offered and how much interest that they're paying. That can also have a negative impact on the balance sheet of a company. And that's something which is also not permissible when it comes to that halal investing space. You want to avoid companies with a high debt to kind of market cap ratio. So something to keep in mind. Huh. Well, it, it sounds like it's almost common sense investing, right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Common sense investing in line with your values, uh, and it's very transparent. It's extremely black and white once you really understand um, how the screening process works. Well, that's great. Um, so, you know, um, something about halal investing, you and I were talking pre-show is how big is the marketplace? Can you share with the audience, you know, anything? Oh my God, yeah. You're, you're looking at, at like over a couple of trillion dollars globally that's invested in the in the halal lifestyle investment space. And we say lifestyle is living, quality of life, services, and then the, the the financial services space, that is. In America, you have roughly about just over 5 million Muslims that live. On average, income for them is over $100,000. So you have well high income earners, mostly professionals, engineers, doctors, scientists, lawyers, and stuff. Uh, and they do want to invest as those generations are shifting, the ones that had moved, and now you've got that first and second generation born and bred here. They want to make sure that they're doing things in line with their personal values as well. And the biggest piece of that is money. That they want to make sure they're earning good money, they're saving it properly, they're investing it the right way, and the returns that they're generating from those investments are in line with those values as well. So it's it's a massively growing market globally. You have over 2 billion Muslims globally as well. So it's, it's a very big piece of the halal investment and halal lifestyle um, that almost any business can adopt and definitely uh, reap rewards from it as well. Well, fantastic. You know, so as we talk about this, and I, I don't know if you can answer this, but um, do companies like Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab offer any ETFs that are in line with law investing? So some do, some don't. I know from my understanding that Vanguard is very selective about the funds that they offer, which is pretty much their own and so on. But with Schwab being an open architecture platform, Fidelity and so on, people can buy both mutual funds and ETFs that specialize in that sort of Sharia compliant halal investment space. And there's a bunch of them in the US actually, actively managed ETFs, passive ETFs, um, um, and actively managed mutual funds as well that fit all those screening requirements that makes them halal and permissible, basically. Fantastic. Yeah, it's such an interesting area. I mean, we could spend the whole podcast talking about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, yeah. So just, just one more question on this is, you know, why is it important for people to invest in line with their values? Oh, God, that's a great question. Um, I think over time, um, as we start to live our lives in communities that we are part of, we see the impact of our behavior. And our behavior is based on how we are with individuals and what we're doing with our money. Um, culturally as well, everyone thinks, spends, 
and invest with their money in different ways. So I think that's why it's really important that if you are someone that believes in certain values from either faith point of view or as an individual, you want to make sure your money is being invested in line with those values as well. If someone believes that you can get cancer from tobacco or from smoking cigarettes, why should your portfolio hold tobacco stocks then? For that matter, for instance, uh, or if you feel like that, okay, you are a, a pro advocate about um, animal rights, then why should you be investing in companies that are harmful to animals, for example? So, so that's where I see that value, which is really important for people to understand that nowadays there are enough funds and investment products available out there that you can truly invest in line with your values, because that's also then giving you that pleasure and comfort that the returns that I'm generating from these investments are coming from those uh, again, halal or permissible investments that are making me happy with the returns I'm generating as well, and the impact those companies are having because of me investing. Yeah, that, that's great. And I, I think that's so important is for people to consider is, you know, then you can feel good about your investments and what your money is doing, that your money is doing something that you feel is good. Um, rather than, as you said, if you're anti-tobacco, then maybe Altria isn't your best investment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I was trying to avoid names, but I'm glad you said it. So, yes. Um, oh, no, yeah. That's, Sorry. that's, that's <laughs> very that. true, Tony. Um, and I think it also is a great way for financial advisors, having been one in the past as well, is to understand about client retention and client growth when advisors look at the book of business. If you have a client that's truly happy with the type of investments you've made for them because it's in line with their value, you're creating longevity of that client with you as well. They wouldn't want to leave and go to someone else because they're getting what they want from you. And even now, kind of like just taking it quickly into the current market environment we're in, talks about inflation, interest rates going up, Yes, it's relevant. It's important to educate your clients on it. But if you're providing them that true personal value-based service, um, there's no reason why your book of business cannot be more stable, grow, and have those clients that will be more long-term with you as well. Definitely. Well, and I think it forms a different type of relationship with your client is when you share values with your client. Um, because then you're going beyond just the numbers. You're forming a, a relationship. And, oh uh, my God! Yes, yeah, that's great. No, absolutely. They're, they're not a number on a spreadsheet for you as an account name, account type, and the AUM and what fee you're generating from them. But it puts a, a value to that kind of client as well. You're right. It makes it personal. It 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 makes you as a better financial advisor because you are truly getting to know your clients and their needs and wants and bringing them that value that no one else potentially can. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, you know, to switch gears a little bit, you know, as we, we talked a little bit about inclusivity, and I, I think this is a part of it because this is a different type of investing is, you know, how can we make financial literacy more inclusive uh, for everyone? It's a great question. Um, I think in order to make financial literacy inclusive, you really have to understand the demographic you're going after. De demographic is key. If you're going after people that come from a certain, you know, faith value or a lifestyle, the information you share with them cannot be the same with those who are also wealthy and living a different lifestyle. So I think the inclusivity has to be related with understanding the demographic that you're working with. If you're working with people that are faith focused, so their faith values are strong for them, your financial literacy and the information you share with them has to resonate with that also. And if it does, that's when the aha moment comes in and they say, you know what, now it makes sense to me. It's not difficult. It's not hard for me to digest. It's in line with how I think, how I feel about my money. Because 
I, money is tangible, but I feel like it's a, there's a strong emotional relationship that people have with money. That's why we become more irrational when it comes to investing and not rational for the most part. Uh, but if you bring that sort of faith-focused value and the financial literacy based on understanding the demographic you're working with, um, I think that's where the information sticks there. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think you, you said a couple words that are really key in there is think and feel. And I think that's often overlooked in the traditional financial planning world is that people are making decisions because of how they think and how they feel. Um, you know, more so than, you know, oftentimes it, it is because of the returns, but it's more than that. It's, you know, are, are you solving the client's problem? Do they feel like you've listened to them um, with where they're trying to go? No, 100%. Like, like yeah. Now, like, one of the questions I normally ask sometimes when I, when I give financial literacy talks in communities for individuals and professionals, is usually like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about money? And a lot of people will say different things like, hey, saving more or scared of investing or buying, buying more, more cars, clothes, shoes, whatever. Everything that they say that is related to acquiring something, you're acquiring a form of an emotion because it's that emotional attachment to money that you have. And that makes people think and react in different ways when it comes to money. Yeah, no, that's so important. Um, so, you know, along that line is, you know, how can advisors better understand cultural differences and how people deal with their money? How can they start to process this and put it into play? No, oh God, again, great question. I think having worked with, and in the past I've worked for a firm that used to create ETFs. So I spend a lot of time talking to financial advisors about understanding how they build their portfolios, how to offer different funds and investments and so on. The one thing I've learned, having been one myself and working with advisors, is that in order to understand who you're going after, you really need to understand their background. Um, to your question, if, if financial advisors put in the time and effort to understand the lifestyle of their clients, as opposed to, again, keeping them as a number on a spreadsheet, it can make a massive impact when it comes to themselves learning about those ethical, socially conscious investment spaces, as well as understanding what their clients really want and then doing their due diligence. A lot of times for some advisors, it's kind of easier to say, hey, got a client, I've got a bunch of funds, let's just offer it to them. We have a wrap fee and we're earning money and that's it. Um, but if you can truly put in the time and effort to understand where your clients are coming from, what's their background, um, that can make a massive difference then. Yeah, well, I, I think then you're starting to connect with them, you know, as we've been talking about on a whole different level, uh, you know, where they really are engaged with what you're offering rather than just sort of passively go, yeah. I, I mean, do you think it helps with client retention of certain investments? Um, and products because they, they understand and they're fully engaged with the product. Oh, no, 100%. I think if the advisor puts in the time to understand the client's needs and relates it to the investments they're offering them, you're getting, uh, you're getting a multitude of things done. Yes, you're incre increasing your retention rate with that client because now you are, again, hitting a nerve with them that's very emotional. You are emotionally valuing their money. So you're looking at that emotional aspect of it. You're looking at the ethical aspect of it. So you're providing them the investment that in line with their values. And then beyond retention, those are the kind of clients that will give you referrals as well. A lot of advisors run after referrals. They come up with different strategies to do that. But understanding your client base is key. If your clients are happy with you, there's no reason why they can't refer you. And then again, 
you talk about that legacy transfer moving forward. If you have clients in their 50s, 60s, 70s that will eventually retire, they want to make sure that their future generations are looked after. They will refer them to you as well. They'll make sure that their kids end up working with you because they'll tell them that, look, this advisor understands what we want. He's offering or she's offering that to us. So make sure we stick it out with them so that longevity then of your kind of lifetime value of a client tremendously goes up. Yeah, I, I, I think that's so important because I know advisors oftentimes struggle with that, even sometimes, you know, with just spouses. Um, yes. I think the statistic is like 70 to 80 percent of widows will leave their family financial planner when the husband passes away. Um, you know, and that's probably a big part of this is because there's not that engagement and investment with the issues and the challenges that clients actually have and their values. No, absolutely. And the conversation style, like if you have a client, get to know their family. Like I said earlier, if you want to really know how to provide financial literacy and ethical based investments to your clients, you need to understand them and their lifestyle and their family. Get them involved. If a client is married, get the spouse involved in conversations. Even if they're not actively participating, make sure they hear you. Uh, they know who you are and what you do. Be that kind of personable voice because they're trusting you with their wealth. They're trusting you with the fact that you will provide them that future access to wealth that they want to generate for themselves. Um, so I think that that is key, being that be personable and investing time in getting to know your clients on a personal level. Wow, I, I, I think that's it is invest time in getting to know your clients. It, it sounds so simple, but I, I, I think that's really the key for people. Sure. Uh, definitely. So, so to switch gears a little bit, you know, let's talk a little bit about 401Go. Tell us a little bit about 401Go. Yeah, I uh, kind of joined the company a couple of months ago, and um, it's a great startup based out of Utah um, that pretty much um, provides 401K plans for small businesses. Uh, majority of the small businesses are usually ignored by these big 401K providers, and the costs are so high or the setup process that most of them don't really bother doing that. And whether you have five employees or 500 employees, the issue then comes down to how are you retaining better uh, employees as well? What sort of benefits you're offering them? These days, everyone wants to be financially free when they retire, want to be financially free while they are now working. And we noticed that a lot of small businesses kind of tend to struggle with that. And that's why Dan Beck, the founder, um, actually had no intention of starting this company until he had a conversation with a friend of his who is a financial advisor that told him that, look, I've got a good bunch of small, uh, a good bunch of clients who are small business owners. If only there was a way for me to quickly help them set up a 401k plan, I can do it for 30 of them tomorrow. And that got Dan thinking about the fact that, okay, this is really a space that's underserved right now. How can we go about with it? So he reached out to his brother, Nate, who's our CTO, a fantastic guy when it comes to tech. The first thing Nate did was he read the tax code from start to end to understand how this that, all that's works. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how many CTOs of FinTech do you know that have bother to even read one page of the tax code if they're in the financial services industry. Um, he kind of did that. Then they worked on the platform. And from 2019 to now, here we are, where I'm kind of heading growth for them. So I'm responsible for marketing, for sales, for strategic partnerships, to kind of make sure that we are really that sort of valuable voice for small businesses to recognize the value in offering 401k plans that's cost-effective, uh, technologically savvy, so it's quick to set up, takes about 15 minutes to set up a plan um, and that they are providing this financial benefit to their employees as well for enhanced uh, retention um, and financial well-being for their employees, really, because uh, 401ks are really misunderstood by many. 
And I think it's a great way to save for retirement. Well, and I think it's important that you're serving the smaller businesses because, you know, I can't remember the percentages, but aren't like 44% of Americans employed by businesses under the size of 500? Yeah. Something like that. No, no, yeah, I think it's slightly more than 44%, but you are absolutely on the money with that. And, and I think a lot of people kind of really don't realize the value economically small businesses bring to us or even startups, because they fall in the same category, really, um, is to kind of make sure that it's not just healthcare, it's not just equity that, that sometimes startups or small businesses offer, but it's that financial viability your employees need by offering that retirement solution to them as well. Um, and, and it's a big market that's highly underserved, and that's what we pretty much at 401Go specialize in. Um, and the best part is that everything is in-house. The tech team is in-house, so we get to work with payroll providers to build integration as well. Um, we've had clients come to us and say, hey, I use XYZ payroll provider. Can you guys make sure you sync up with them? So that's how we can manage our 401k as well. So having everything in-house allows us to do that very quickly and efficiently and cost-effectively. Fantastic. Yeah, and I think one of the other things, and you mentioned this, is technology. So how is 401go? integrating technology to make the 401ks more accessible? Um, yeah, um, I think the, the biggest thing is understanding how those APIs and the aspect of technology works. The one thing we did was we, we knew that we wanted to build everything in-house. So in order to do that, again, you, you have to understand the problem. Problem is the process of setting up a 401k plan can be quite tedious. So you digitalize it to make that onboarding process easy. So simplifying that. So really simplifying that problem of setting up a plan was the key thing. And then things like TPA, third-party administrator. No one wants to go outside and look for someone. We do that in-house. Forms like 5,500 that needs to be filed, we do that for them. So we kind of built that customer support and that layering of additional services in-house to make that tech marry with that human element of a 401k service. And then a high level of customer support as well that we offer alongside with that. So we have customer support agents that sort of help out those plans. So once you come on board, it's not like a business is completely on their own. They still have support and help from us. And then it's uh, tech enhancements. I mean, we have a very strong growing tech team that is constantly working to kind of ensure that everything that we offer is working smoothly and what enhancements we can make and do to sort of make sure that things um, are working in line with the way they should. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that, that's so exciting, actually. It reminds me of another guest I had uh, who started a company. I think it was just basically called Instant Nonprofit in a Box. And it was sort of the same thing as, you know, that starting a nonprofit's a huge endeavor with lots of forms and time and things like that. And so he, he he's doing the same thing as bringing all of that into one process, one-stop shop, essentially for people. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, yeah, you kind of nailed it. I think time is money. I mean, it really is not that I think. I know for a fact time is money. And with small businesses, they're so busy in the grind of making their business grow. The thought of offering additional benefits beyond healthcare never really crosses their mind sometimes. So they're so busy in just saving money, spending, investing, and growing their business that all these additional values of offering a 401k, 403b, 457b, however you define it, based on the type of business you are, brings value to your employees. It makes them feel valued as well. And cost matters. It's, you know, there are many companies out there that are pretty expensive. We do take pride in being cost efficient, cost effective to set up a plan. And again, using our own tech allows us to set up a plan within 15 minutes. So really it's more about the value we bring of time and service 
that allows those small businesses to thrive and again, retain valuable employees as well by offering that retirement solution. Fantastic. Well, that's exciting. Well, you know, so as we wrap up is, what is your number one tip on financial wellness? Um, I would say act, don't react. Because again, earlier on, as we had discussed, that because of that emotional value to money you have, you will you are bound to be irrational with decision making and more emotional. But if you are someone that acts on your actions that, rather than reacting, you will always make smart decisions. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh, try not to live paycheck to paycheck. Build a budget." Those things aren't easy to do. You have to build the habit of doing that first, of recognizing how money works for you. So the biggest tip I'll say is learn to act and not react, and then really be like. Um, close-knit with understanding your bank account, know how much you're spending, know how much you're earning, and be strict with your lifestyle if you tr truly want to um, kind of grow financially. And lastly, I'll say work in reverse. Always have a retirement plan set first. Have that 401k, that employer match, have an IRA for yourself, and then work in reverse to have those brokerage accounts and other investment accounts, um, you know, trading apps and stuff that people talk about these days, cryptos, et cetera, if you really want to go towards that. But, but, start, but, but work in reverse. Start with retirement planning, understand your budget, be strict with it, act, don't react, and things should work out just fine. Fantastic. You know, it's funny that you mentioned cryptos. You know, when I, you know, when I talk about financial wellness, and you know, I, I agree with you, is that, you know, I tell people, think about what your retirement goal is, and then see if crypto fits into your retirement planning strategy rather than just purchasing some crypto and figuring out what are you going to do with it? Where does it fit in? Yeah, yeah exactly. It may or may not fit in. It may or may not. And again, it's based on multiple factors, your age, your time horizon, your risk tolerance, uh, how much you're earning, how much you're contributing to a 401k. When are you going to rely on that money as well? Um, all of those factors are important rather than just going after something that's uh, currently being talked about so much that everyone thinks they can become an overnight crypto millionaire, which is not the fact. It's all about consistency, which is key to financial well-being. Yeah, 100%. I love that. So, Saad, where can people learn more about you? Where they, where can they connect with you? I'm, I'm, I'm big on connecting on LinkedIn. I love to have conversations with people. So LinkedIn is great. Twitter, just my first name, last name. Try to tweet as much as I can, share valuable information. And even on my own, I actually started an Instagram page a while back that I'm slowly working on, which is truly about financial literacy. Having someone that's worked in the space, it makes it kind of easier. So I called it Fit on Money, F-I-T-O-N-M-O-N-E-Y. So at Fit on Money okay. is an Instagram page. Uh, which is really a source of like something I'm building out for people to have access to that information, which can help them make more decisive decisions about their wealth. Fantastic. So, and for everybody watching and listening is uh, I'll be posting links uh, to Saad's profiles and website in uh, the show notes. So Saad, thank you very much for joining us on the Tony Stewart podcast. Uh, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. And I really hope that we shared some information that hopefully folks out there will find a value. Definitely. Well, this is great. And the other thing, Saad, I just want to ask you is, um, can you share some resources on halal investing so people who are interested uh, can learn more about it? Some oh links? No, absolutely. I, I mean, there are a couple of investment firms out there now that offer halal investing as well, uh, which I'll say is what people should do. Um, this company called Amana Mutual Fund or Wahid, W-A-H-E-D, my, my previous employer that offers that. Um, you can look up Investopedia. Investopedia actually has definitions on this. Uh, Wahid Invest has uh, blog posts 
and knowledge-based information on their website as well. That is really important. And because of this information being out there, you can literally Google search halal investing and you'll have a bunch of resources come up. But Investopedia has information on it as well that I you know, would highly recommend for people to learn. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. That's super helpful. And for people, I will be posting more about that and getting more information out there about halal investing. So, uh, Saad, thanks again for coming on the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the Tony Stewart Podcast. Until next time.